Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome to Add Passion and Stir. It's the podcast from Share Our Strength. We share the inspirational stories of individuals who set their sights on a problem and use their strengths to create solutions. On today's episode, you'll hear from C.D. Glenn of the PepsiCo Foundation and Kim Fortunato of the Campbell Soup Foundation. These two longtime supporters of Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign will discuss what their corporate foundations are doing to create healthier communities. We'll be right back after this. We have two really giants in corporate philanthropy, thought leaders, uh, philanthropists, problem solvers in our communities, and I'm thrilled to have them. C.D. Glenn, who is Vice President of Global Head of Philanthropy for PepsiCo, a company that's obviously having a huge impact uh, in our society. Uh, C.D. was before uh, in this role, which I think began in 2021, was President and CEO of the U.S. African Development Foundation, which is a U.S. government agency. Prior to that, an Associate Director for Africa for the Rockefeller Foundation and uh, also an appointee in the Obama administration as the first director of intergovernmental affairs and global partnerships for the Peace Corps. Uh, what experience you bring to this CD? Uh, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for the opportunity. Really appreciate it, Billy. Uh, and also somebody that I've known for a while, Kim Fortunato, who has been director of community affairs and president of the Campbell Soup Foundation uh, and since beginning in 2010, leading Campbell's Healthy communities uh, programming. Uh, That's something near and dear to the work of Share Our Strength. When Kim began, at least, it was a $10 million, 10-year initiative to improve the health of young people in Campbell communities by focusing on childhood obesity and hunger. So right in the sweet spot of uh, where we work. And Kim is a nationally recognized expert and thought leader on collective impact uh, and on problem solving in communities in innovative ways. So we're really to have the two of you in one conversation is a a real thrill. And I know our listeners are going to learn a lot. Kim, thanks so much for being with us as well. Billy, thank you for the opportunity. It's really a pleasure to be with you and an honor to be with both you and CD. Looking forward to the conversation. Well, you know, there's a a number of things I want to talk about in terms of how your work and our work intersects, but I know that our listeners are always interested in just how folks got to be doing what they're doing in the first place. And so the, you know, kind of the resume highlights that I touched on hit part of it, but they, they, they leave out a lot. And CD, I'd like to start with you and just hear how your life ended up on the path of public and community service and in philanthropy in such a profound way? Uh, Like, where did it start? Did it begin with your family? Did it begin uh, in your first job? Uh, What set you on this path? So all all of the above, Billy, my family, my first, my first job, um, all of those, all all of that shaped who I am and what I do. But it's really been driven by probably three tenants and pillars to sort of every opportunity I've, I've sought and been selected for. And that's really being of service to others, trying to create opportunities for others and really having an impact on other people. And that came from early days. And my dad was in the Air Force and I grew up um, over, overseas on military bases and, and saw the power of public service and military service, you know, through my through my family. Later on, wanted to join the Air Force and learn about the foreign service. I saw diplomatic service as an opportunity there. And it was later on that I um, ran into some Peace Corps volunteers while I was a foreign service intern um, in Ghana right after undergrad at Howard University. And that's when I sort of really saw the power of of authentic 
community relations, living and working at the grassroots level with community. And I knew then that that's what I was going to spend sort of a big part of the rest of my life doing. And so that giving of myself as a Peace Corps volunteer, later on working as a consultant with the World Bank, um, you know, having a number of jobs with international nonprofits, that led to sort of government service. Um, and then later on in my career in the early uh, 2010s, uh, you know, ran into philanthropy. And I was like, well, I've, you know, been of, been of service, I've created opportunities. Now I can really drive greater impact by being on the other side of the table and really supporting organizations like the ones that I'd worked for. So, you know, every, every role has led to something that's given me the opportunity to give back more, to create more opportunity and have greater impact. And now being in, one of the, the U.S.'s largest food and beverage companies, but a, a real global company with, you know, uh, people and and um, operations in 200 plus countries and territories. This is where I've landed, you know, within the past year. And it's just been been great to sort of bring the nonprofit, the public service in now that that experience to the private sector. You know, CD, one of my goals at Chair of Strength is to hire as many returned Peace Corps volunteers as we possibly can, because I have found that they can do anything. Really, that is the truth. <laughs> you know, they get dropped, dropped into a country, they've got to figure it out. They can fundraise and do press and do media and uh, Kim, I want to ask you the same question. You know, this is almost your entire career has been focused on uh, community and community building and innovative solutions to community problems. Um, did, did it start with you? Was your dad in the Air Force? <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 were the, uh, what were the formative influences on you? Yeah, happy to share that. And CD, I'm a little envious. Your experience is so incredible and I imagine totally transformational. Um, my experience was definitely shaped by my, my growing up and family time. And that was in the early 60s with a severely disabled sibling. So from my very early years, I can remember pushing my sister in her wheelchair. And it was a time when disabilities weren't really talked about very much. In fact, people would laugh at her and point at her and make fun of her. And I was a child myself uh, and very aware of otherness all of a sudden. And, you know, issues around social justice, although that term wasn't in my vocabulary at the time, became relevant to me uh, just by having this experience of living with a sibling who I adored and who adored me, but who was never going to live a life like my own. So that really shaped very much uh, and centered my desire to, I guess, do the right thing and to make change in our world. I was the kid in the neighborhood who always organized the fundraisers for UNICEF every fall. Uh, so that volunteerism, that commitment to social change uh, for a better world for us all uh, was, was inherent in my being from the earliest days that I can remember. I started my career as a lawyer, uh, I think with the hopes of making change that way. Uh, ended up having three children in 21 months, so two of them were twins, uh, and actually took a decade off, left the practice of law, took a decade off, but that decade, in addition to raising children, was very much invested from a volunteer standpoint in, in and around education, uh, and other issues that were important to me, foster care. I served on our foster care review board in Delaware for 10 years. Uh, and when I re-entered the workforce, I decided that really my passion around social change, philanthropy, nonprofit leadership was more important of a path to follow than my legal career. And I 
re-entered the workforce and ended up co-founding Social Venture Partners Delaware. So one of the SVP affiliates at that time, we were number 13 of what is now many globally, uh, many global affiliates in that social venture partner practice uh, and have been in on either side of either nonprofit leadership or philanthropy for the past 20 years. And as I look back today, every step seems to make perfect sense, but certainly when you're in the middle of this step, you're never quite certain what's coming next. Uh, so part of, I think part of the pleasure of this journey has been the ability to reflect at every stage, to think, how do I continue to make change, to make impact, to have you know, as, as great a meaning and powerful um, contribution to our community as possible. And Kim, I feel like I know a lot of people who uh, are, are thinking about or want to do what you did, but uh, or have concerns about, um, but I was a lawyer and what would my friends and family think and how do I make that change? Was, was it hard for you? Was there any pushback? Did you have any, did, did you second guess yourself at any point? I never did, Billy. I was also in a position where I, I was just so driven by this passion around change that, that no, I feel like I was supported every step of the way. And in many instances, especially in co-founding Social Venture Partners, the momentum was so powerful that the doors opened before I even got to the doors. So I would say my experience was was the reverse. And I, and I often mentor younger women who are mid-career and making thinking about significant career changes. Uh, I've, I've always shared my experience as one you know, positive and and nothing was out there to stop to stop me. Well, um, you know, I, I described each of you as kind of, you know, giants in philanthropy, but and you, you both work for companies that are kind of giants in their field. So I, uh, I'm eager to hear a little bit about how, you know, with a company like PepsiCo or a company like Campbell's, people must assume that you're able to do everything, that you have the resources to do everything. Uh, and I, I'm really interested in how you kind of strategically pick and, and choose. We all, we all know that at the end of the day, resources are finite and strategies about making choices. Um, can you each give us just a little bit of a description of kind of the strategic focus of the, the foundation and the philanthropy of the company and then how, how you uh, each have to kind of sort out all the competing demands to get to that point? Um, fantastic question and really important. It's one of those in philanthropy in general, what, what do you do when you can do anything, right? And so um, finding the least best things to do is, is critically important. And I think, you know, I came into the, to this role thinking, how do, how do we do what we can do, we can uniquely do at, at PepsiCo? And as a large food and beverage company that, you know, has great performance, that has, you know, iconic brands, whether that's Pepsi or Lay's or Quaker or, or Gatorade or any any um, number of our $23 billion brands, it was like, how do, we, how do I leverage what PepsiCo is as a company to really have greater impact on community? And um, in doing that, we've, we've landed in three areas that we feel like are really critical for us as a food and beverage company that really does create opportunity wherever we show up, creating jobs, um, bringing joy to communities. And I just sort of said, let's, let's, let's take, take the page from that playbook and sort of say, well, what's the flip side of being a food and beverage company that creates opportunity? Well, there's the, the, the soft underbelly that global food insecurity is an issue. So we need to drive issues around global food, food security, particularly around access to nutritious foods and sustainable agriculture. Everything that we, we produce 
come from the ground or or from water, you know, from the land or, or from the air. And so the reality is around being a global food company is that we also, you know, agriculture is at, at the heart of a lot of what we do. So um, leaning in on those issues around food insecurity, around access to nutritious foods was, was a no-brainer. Safe water access also was sort of an area. This is where we can have influence and we, where we can have control. What we actually do as a company can be part of the solution to the challenges in terms of access to safe water but also we can actually bring about greater transformation in terms of water conservation, distribution, purification. So safe water access is a critical pillar of our work. And then the last piece is really around economic opportunity. Again, as a global employer, we have over 300,000 employees and associates around the world. And so ensuring that we are creating economic opportunity for others, especially in the places where we live and work and for underserved communities. And so leaning in, on ways to create opportunity through education and scholarship opportunities for people who otherwise wouldn't have access to education or there are real barriers to, to education um, is, is a critical component of our economic opportunity work. The thing, same thing in terms of support to small businesses and, and entrepreneurs. And that's a lot of work that we do in the US um, with black and brown communities. We have a black restaurant accelerator program, a Hispanic accelerator program around the world, women's economic empowerment programs. So a lot around economic opportunity as it relates to enterprise development. And then also, a real focus around skill building for community organizations and nonprofits. And this is really important to our work because we are we are a, a global company, but we're also local. Where when we show up, we show we show up as a local entity. And so having the connection to civil society and to community groups and community groups who who really are the, the standard bearers of the communities and their needs, it's really important for us to support them and build their skills around leadership, around um, you know, organizational development. And so whether, you know, as a company that really is global, but also focused on food and beverage convenience, we sort of look at those those issues and say, how do we really look at the, the problem to solve in those same issues? And we do it through strategic partners. We're ultra local in all of our approach. And we think about all of our programs being local. We want them to be lasting, so sustainability of those efforts. We don't want them to be leveraged. When we go in, we don't want to go in alone. We're all about collaboration with the community and with other organizations. And we also think about ourselves as being catalytic and leading in our efforts. So how do we solve problems that others um, either are neglecting or people have been historically excluded? So how do we come in and sort of be a real change maker in our work? But I really went in, Billy, with, the, with almost a simplistic or a simple but not simplistic framework of food, water, and opportunity. What does success look like? So when you think about issues as, as large as global food insecurity and safe water access and economic opportunity, how do you, you're probably the ultimate arbiter, the ultimate decider, how do you judge what success looks like in terms of the uh, impact that the company is having? You know, it's it's interesting. We're we're very data driven, and so being results and having a results based orientation in our work is really um, important. We're not just check writers. We're not even we're 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 not um, just a grant making entity. We actually run a number of programs that we'll share later um, um, as well. But having real metrics on what we're trying to achieve in a certain time period, and so in terms of global food security, impacting fifty million people between now and 2030. The same thing, 100 million people in safe water access. Um, economic opportunity, one goal 
of impacting 5 million women in their lives and livelihoods in small smallholder agriculture. So really putting some real metrics around our ambitions, um, Billy, is really important, but also having the big audacious goals of really just being uh, more uh, impactful and more positive. We talk about being PepsiCo positive a lot at the, um, at the foundation and in the company. So being a positive force for good writ large for people and for planet. But having real measurable targets and goals and and being a a grant maker, yes, but one that is sort of looking at strategic grant makings. And we want we're making grants not to make grants. We're making grants to make change. And that's what's really important is that we're grant makers, but we're also change makers. And so having metrics and having a results based framework and orientation to our philanthropy is critically important because the business has metrics in terms of what they want to do in terms of products and sales and marketing and in our social impact work and our community work. I wanted us and, and the team wants to have real measures of success um, in terms of the goals that we're trying to achieve in all of our areas of investment. So, so it, it sounds like there's an accountability built in there, which is which is so important to, to knowing where you stand in terms of the impact you're having. Um, Kim, uh, I would love to hear the same from you. I know that you know, uh, hunger, nutrition, children's health uh, have been at the core of your work since you, in effect, took over the Healthy Communities uh, program work and now you know, leading the foundation. How have you set uh, the priorities? What are the impacts that you're proudest of? How do you, how do you measure success for Campbell's? Yeah, thank you, Billy. Uh, first of all, our foundation focus, we really uh, re-strategized when I became president, and by the way, the first female president of the foundation in the history of the foundation uh, about six or seven years ago. And we, we reshaped those strategies based on the 10-year signature program, Campbell's Healthy Communities, that actually brought me to the company uh, 12 years ago. So our foundation focus areas, and, and like uh, PepsiCo, in, in in focus and also in terms of strategy, we are place-based as a funder. We have 31 Campbell communities in North America, and that is where our funding is, is focused. Uh, we focus on food access, so very similar to all, I won't reiterate all the reasons that CD uh, just articulated, but very similar. Uh, healthy living, which was a combination of our, our two of our strategies in our healthy communities work, physical activity and nutrition, nutrition education. So really looking at, at the whole person and achieving the healthiest um, opportunities for, for our residents, our employees, our communities. And then lastly, nurturing Campbell neighborhoods. So really looking at our built environment, our physical spaces, um, safe places to play, for example, in Camden was a, a, a very high level of uh, investment and focus, uh, but rails to trails in our Paris, Texas community uh, is, is, is an area of focus. So looking at not only the health of and well-being of our, our residents, our children, uh, but also our communities. We have a strategic fund, which is part of our foundation portfolio, that is focused on a very specific area of work. The first 10 years of my experience at Campbell was that Healthy Communities program. So that was a $10 million, 10-year program. And I think the 10 years is really significant for a corporation to say, okay, have 10 years to really look at such, such an intractable problem like childhood obesity and hunger, two problems that live on both sides of, or either side of a coin, really. Uh, that $10 million, you know, one might say is, is not very much for 
a company the size of Campbell's Soup Company, we were able to leverage almost twice that amount. And when I say we, not just Campbell, but the partners in the collective work uh, leverage so much more investment, uh, federal, regional, and local investment for that, that work. The next strategic fo uh, focus area, because Healthy Community Sunset a year ago, and the final report will be published in, within the next week or two. So I'll be happy to be sharing that li the link to that report. Okay, that makes this a very timely conversation. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the second strategic program was very much informed by the first. Uh, so what we learned from the work that we had done, especially with our KIPP partner schools in Camden, New Jersey, uh, and work that we did not only in school gardens, but in the cafeterias, started me thinking about how do we create shared value for the company? You know, shared value as a business strategy. And I thought about our community work. This was pre-pandemic too. Uh, and thought about school nutrition. And I thought about the very different opportunities in school food across this country. Um, school food that my children may have experienced, school food that I see some of our Camden kids experiencing, and the opportunity for Campbell as a food manufacturer with customers in that K-12 space um, to really lead the change in elevating the recognition that school nutrition is not necessarily equitable across this country, uh, that school nutrition is not just school lunch, that it's before school, during school, after school, that it's summertime, that it's weekends. Uh, so can we elevate that? Can we innovate as a food manufacturer to create new products for that K-12 space? And can we impact what, what I thought, and this was about 2018, 19, when I was first presenting this idea to our leadership, uh, can we really make an impact on what I, I considered a very compelling social issue? And now, of course, that compelling social issue has really ratcheted up uh, as the pandemic revealed with so many of the issues we face. So the foundation does carve out funds for the investment in this strategic uh, work. And this, as I said, the strategic work is really about shared value for the company uh, and for our communities that we serve. And then I guess one other thing that I would say uh, that the foundation has supported in terms of this to CD's point of sustainability. You know, when I reflected on the food access work we had done in the Healthy Communities 10-year program, I also reflected on how do we sustain that work? We did we made some major inroads in our corner stores and getting healthier products into our corner stores and supporting the entrepreneurs of those corner stores with refrigeration, with technical assistance, with all kinds of things. And we actually drove sales uh, in, in produce in one store, 173% higher in sales of local produce. So how do we continue to sustain this work now that Healthy Communities is sunsetting? And we're in the midst of, we haven't really announced this publicly, but it's not a secret. Uh, we're in the midst of setting up what will be called the Cam Camden Community Food Fund. So about a three and a half million dollar fund for access to capital for individual entrepreneurs and small business people, all BIPOC-led uh, entrepreneurs and small businesses in Camden City in the food space. And this is, for me, really about transferring power and wealth to our communities. Well, and just the notion of transferring power that way, to me, goes to the heart of sustainability, what will ultimately make it sustainable. And, you know, as we talk about sustainability, one of the other you know, questions that evokes for me, um, and at least the way we 
think about it at share our strength. We started off this conversation by saying, you know, even even large companies at the end of the day have finite resources. Uh, I'm really curious how each of you think about something we think about a lot, which is that there are many things uh, we can do as a as a nonprofit um, innovations, risks we can take, uh, concepts we can prove. Uh, but at the end of the day, there often has to be uh, a role, not just for philanthropy or the business sector alone, but uh, a role for government to help scale some of these ideas. How, how do you, in, in the corporate leadership uh, uh, sector, think about the role of where government intersects with what you do? Or, or, or are there places where you, you, I'm sure there are some places where you think it shouldn't, or are there places where you think it should? I think, I think it's essential. I mean, the role of nonprofits and philanthropy, business and government intersecting to solve these global challenges, societal issues is, is paramount. I mean, it, it's going to take all of us coming to the table and everyone having a seat at the table. I spent, you know, the past two decades of my career in the nonprofit, philanthropic and government sectors. And I always was asking, and we always were pushing forward and asking, where is business? Where is business at the table? And now, um, you know, being <laughs> from, I'm from, I'm from the business world and I'm here to help. <laughs> um, now being at this side of the table, it, I'm, I'm showing up in places where, where companies and corporations haven't necessarily always shown up. And it's really, it's really important regardless of, of the past. I think now all three, um, sectors or four sectors, depending on how we look at it, um, coming together in collaborative approaches, that's the only way we're going to really impact the communities for the long term. The role of government in terms of legislating and regulating some issues that, you know, lead lead to positive changes is, is welcomed in some instances. And obviously, at certain times, companies and businesses want to sort of go it at their own pace and or maybe in their own in their own way. But having those conversations and being collaborative is essential. We, we, we the communities need and the nonprofit sector needs all of us to just get along, to to come together, to be positive forces for good for some of these global issues because they're intractable and they're systemic, and it's and it takes all the tools in the toolkit to solve them for the long term. Kim, how do you think about it? I mean, I I fully agree with everything Stevie just articulated. Um, as, as you know, Billy, I've been a practitioner of collective impact uh, for over ten years now, and and really before that that phrase was coined, I think. That was my approach to social change, and certainly all of the shoulders we all had, we all stand on from decades before. That really is when you when you look at successful change in our country or beyond. That's what you see. You see an intersection of a diverse group of stakeholders, including public public sector stakeholders and government stakeholders. And without that diversity of stakeholders committed to a common agenda, a common goal. I don't think we will succeed. Uh, so I, I'm a, a devoted practitioner of this philosophy of collective work. Uh, it's not easy. It, it, it's longer term. It's it's harder. I think we all need to understand that we speak different languages, uh, and that's one of the early conversations I have in our collective work. Is you know the public health sector and the private sector. Don't use the same vocabulary. When people ask me, oh, why is Campbell, you know, so focused on population health? It's really great. And I'm like, well, you know, you're right, we are, but that's not how we refer to it. You know, we refer to our employee, our employee health, our community health. 
I'm not so sure we use terms or our leadership uses terms like population health outcomes or social determinants of health, but clearly I think in that way. So how do we start to create a narrative with a shared language so these sectors have an easier time coming together and working collectively? You know, Billy, let me jump in. Um, I think Kim just landed on, on so many really important points because I think that that the language is that it needs to be there and then also just to be honest, some of the trust or some of the um, the realities that if I say, you know, from a co- corporate standpoint that we want to impact communities, that I want my I want to engage employees, I want employees to be part of the solution as well, and I want to drive corporate purpose. I want to make sure that PepsiCo is a company that's seen as a positive force for good for people and for planet, a nonprofit organization or the government. Oh, you're just here for the business. Well, the business is trying to do good in the community. And so having that trust and having that ability to listen to one another. And if I say corporate purpose and you say, you know, corporate reputation or what have you, you know, we get lost in some of the nomenclature and and lose the point of really coming together and saying sometimes sometimes the long-term sustainable efforts are going to be led by government, are going to be led by business or led by community. And philanthropic capital always comes in as de-risking catalytic capital to really help hopefully sometimes bring us um, closer together. So I think thinking about our our roles, our respective roles, and our respective language, and then coming with a sense of, let's say, trust and understanding to have that collective impact is an imperative. Uh, I know when, whenever I'm asked if I support collective impact, I always say, well, you know, what, are, what other kind of impact is there? You know, right? how, how, how else can you have an impact? I mean, if you don't have to do this work for very long to know that, you know, that really is, as you say, Kim, the only way. And, and it sounds like each of you uh, depend on the trust uh, that you have in uh, community organizations and community driven uh, solutions. What, what makes a good community partner for you? What are, what do you look for in a community partner as an ingredient of success? When we look for community partners, we look for that philosophy. We look for that willingness to work collectively, uh, to to leave your name and your ego at the door, and to really think about, in, in, you know, in this case right now with our current collective, uh, school nutrition and our children and the communities in which they live and their families, and, and to, to some extent, the local food system and the equities in the local food system. So how do we work in that spirit together, and it's those partners uh, who we we search out. No, I love I love Kim's Kim down. They're very um, passionate and, and and super important. You know, one of the keys for us is is proximity. You know, our strongest partnerships are the ones wherein the people who will be directly impacted um, by our work inform, co-create, and co-deliver the solutions. We think about ourselves as being demand driven, demand responsive, participatory, and we put like local ownership at the center of, of a lot of our investments. And we you know, clearly understand that allowing others and their efforts to be led by the local communities allows for long-term sustainability of our efforts. And so that's really essential for us is this, this um, point around proximity to the issues. And we partner with leading community organizations you know, who are providing solutions in the areas where they live and work and also where um, PepsiCo lives and works and, and plays and our, our employees live. So our local community partners, you know, always share our mission to fight hunger in underserved areas. And they're totally familiar with the unique needs of their communities that we're trying to have a positive impact on. I'd love as we kind of close out to hear each of you talk about starting with you, Kim, just kind of what 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 are you proudest of? What are you taking away that is giving you the most pride from what you've done? Well, 
let me answer that broadly first, and then I'll give you a couple of specifics. I mean, a broad takeaway is honestly the humbling opportunity that Campbell's Soup Company really invited me to to lead uh, when I joined the company almost 12 years ago. Working in the city of Camden and gaining the trust of the residents of Camden and the communities within Camden has been such an enormous, humbling, but also rewarding experience. I, I really can't equate it to anything else in my life. And I've, I've worked nationally in, in lots of different communities, but never so in depth with the community. And Camden, the Camden community is one of great resilience. And of course, Campbell Soup Company has been there for over 150 years and has been part of that community and given back to that community long before corporate responsibility or ESG was were termed. Uh, and our role in that community and our, our willingness to be so engaged in that community has been a really meaningful and powerful experience. So, you know, part of my reflection has to be one of gratitude for having had this opportunity. And the opportunity is all about the relationships as a result of of the investments and change that we've led. Um, I'm excited to share with you something that was just made public. Uh, I think it's the first place in the country that we're doing this is in Camden. And it's with the partnership with Common Market, who is one of the partners in our Full Futures Collective, our School Nutrition Collective, uh, and a lot of support from Fair Food Network, um, a colleague, thought leader, um, partner organization, in, in much of our work. And that is basically, think of double up coupons, but for a school district. So it's sending the district to buy more local produce. Uh, and it's, it's all grant funded right now through our, our Campbell commitment to full futures. But the idea, and this speaks a little bit to your question earlier about government and policy, Billy, is the idea that this would go to scale. So if enough school districts can demonstrate more demand as a result of this grant-funded double-up program, uh, can we then present it as, as policy uh, for, for district food uh, reimbursement? Uh, so that's piloting in Camden. It just launched in March. Uh, a lot more to come on that. I think you'll be hearing about it a lot, and I'm very excited for that. And again, looking at systems change and how do we really impact systems change. So those are two examples, but mainly uh, mainly mainly thinking back, and it's, it's a a position of gratitude. Uh, awesome examples. Uh, how about UCD? And again, it doesn't have to be limited to Pepsi, although I know you've in a short time, you've already accomplished a lot there. No, and, and this is, I'm going to take a page out of Kim's book in terms of um, uh, a sense of gratitude. You know, I'm at, a, I'm at a stage in my life, in my career, and I look back at the last 20 years and looking forward at the next 20, and I'm really, I feel like I'm at this inflection point by coming to PepsiCo a year ago and sort of saying, you know, can I bring my whole self to to this job like I have in every other aspect of my, my life and my career? And I wasn't sure the private sector, would they accept me? Would they reject me? And PepsiCo, to its credit, and I know Campbell's the same way, you know, had this, this spirit of bring your whole self. We're hiring you to be you to help us be better and to do more good in more places. And that's been, I do have a sense of gratitude, you know, one year in leading the PepsiCo Foundation on a day-to-day -day basis. And, there, and it's really because of the spirit in which I entered, but also the work that we're doing and the work in the U.S. with a, a program we call, have that's called Food for Good, which is a social enterprise. This is where we actually deliver as PepsiCo um, Foundation, we deliver meals to uh, schools, to kids and learning environments, after school, uh, summer programs. And over the past decade or so, 60 million meals 
partnering with 50 local nonprofits and creating 200 jobs. These are the kind of things that I walked into and I get to the opportunity to lead and to take to another level. You know, we talked earlier about my my background in early days in South Africa as a Peace Corps volunteer. One of our most impactful programs around the world in terms of school feeding is a program we have with one of our subsidiary companies called Pioneer Foods. Every day, really, 30,000 children in South Africa, we feed them breakfast. This is in 35 different schools in South Africa and seven of the most vulnerable communities and seven of the most vulnerable provinces in South Africa. This, this is aligned with the Department of Education in South Africa's National School Nutrition Program, but we show up as PepsiCo Foundation in these communities. And it's really, really the opportunity to sort of work on programs in the U.S. like Food for Good programs globally, like we, like the Pioneer School Breakfast Program, but also as an African-American in this space, in the social impact space at a global company, um, for the company to have had a commitment of investing over $500 million for Black and Hispanic communities. And this came out of um, the George Floyd moment in, in 2020 and America's reckoning with race as we were also reckoning with COVID-19. The company stepped up and said, we need to do more. We need to be a part of the solution. And um, a lot of the work that I lead at the foundation is support to Black and Hispanic communities, businesses, and people themselves. And these are these are opportunities for me to do more good for more people. And it's the Black Restaurant Accelerator Program, the Hispanic Business Accelerator Program, our community college work. So I literally get to live my dreams. I get to do well, do good, do it from a vantage point where it can have scale, where I can be of service to more people, create more opportunities and have greater impact, somewhat because of the power of a private sector company sort of saying that we need to do more than just create create great products, whether it's Quaker or Doritos or Lay's or Pepsi or Mountain Dew. We need to be better for people in the planet. And I get to be the steward of that that largesse and that commitment. And and this is what this is my proudest moment in, in my life, in my career. I'm global. I'm local and I'm able to bring my whole self to work. And it's just, um, you know, coming together now as Kim sort of looks at the, the, the tail end, I'm looking at the front, you know, the, the front mirror and the, the windshield and sort of saying, wow, there's so much more to do ahead. And I'm really feeling um, grateful and have a real spirit of gratitude. You, you realize that the two of you are making a lot of people jealous right now <laughs> because you, you've both lived your dream professionally. And uh, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, and particularly what you were saying. Add passion and stir. <laughs> Add passion and stir. And, and you know what you were saying um, at the beginning of your comment CD about, you know, being able to bring your whole self to work and not being sure a large corporation would embrace that, uh, as I know both, you know, PepsiCo and Campbell's have, uh, is, is pretty special. And it's not found everywhere. I think it's uh, hopefully, you know, people listen to this and they're inspired to think that they can bring some of those values to to their company uh, as well. So, um, Billy, I used to say, I used to ask myself early in the days, it's like an organ transplant. Will the body accept me or reject me? <laughs> and the, the blood is flowing. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a part of the body now. So it worked out. Well, it, it's pretty special. Uh, I'm really grateful both of you have taken the time uh, to be with us today. And especially for your for your leadership, the issues you work on are, of course, you know, uh, broader than what we work on at Share and Strength, but in many ways near and dear to our hearts. And particularly as you were just talking about some of the global food work uh, CD, you know, our origins at Share Our Strength, and this goes back, you know, more than 35 years now, were the catastrophic Ethiopian famine in 1984. That was what kind of was the catalyst for us starting Share Our Strength and our focus over the last number of years has been mostly domestic here in the U.S., but we're 
we're starting to rebuild uh, some of our international work, particularly in our case in India, which has a, a, a government program called the Midday Meals Program, uh, the Midday Meals, so that uh, so that students in India, and of course it's a, a vast, vast enterprise, uh, at least get one solid meal a day. And we're trying to take some of the things that we've learned from our school meal work here in the U.S. and tease out which are applicable and might be valuable to, to partners there. In addition to making grants, uh, which we're doing, we're trying to collaborate on some of those best practices. So we may we may come back to you for some advice on how to get, get smarter about doing that. I literally was going to say, we should talk offline, Billy, about that. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. And it sounds like you've done a lot of really important work there that we can learn from. So uh, that would be invaluable. But uh, again, thanks to to both of you. Uh, your, your leadership across philanthropy uh, really does inspire many of us. And uh, I know it will be uh, long lasting, regardless of how long uh, you are in, in each of your positions. Uh, to all of those uh, who've been listening today, thanks so much for listening to Add Passion and Stir. If you want to learn more about the work of C.D. Glenn at PepsiCo and Kim Fortunato at Campbell's, uh, you can go to addpassionandstir.com and you will find on our website uh, more information about all of that. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can share Add Passion and Stir with a friend and rate the show and rank it so that others can find it. Uh, Add Passion and Stir is produced by Paul Woody Whittles, team at District Productive. Today, that includes Peter Ogburn and Joanna Weber of Pop and Awe, with support from our team at Char Strength in the No Kid Hungry campaign. My sister, Debbie Shore, Pamela Taylor, Megan Cantrell, and Kelly Griffin. We will be back in two weeks with more stories of individuals who are sharing their strength to make a difference in the world. Uh, our guests today, uh, C.D. Glenn and Kim Fortunato, have set the bar very high, but we'll try and match it when we come back uh, two weeks from now. Until then, thanks so much for listening.